Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. I am also the Managing Director of B Squared, a company who supports schools to show small steps of progress. Each week on this podcast, we talk about a topic within the world of special educational needs, something to help us learn and support children with SEND. You could be a parent or relative, teacher, teaching assistant, SENCO, senior leader, advisor, or someone else who works with children with SEN. There is so much to do, so much to learn, and lots of stuff we don't have time for. The SENCast is here to help you broaden your knowledge around a range of topics within the world of special needs. In this episode, our guest is Anne Harrod Welsh, who will be giving us introduction to augmentative and alternative communication, more commonly referred to as acronym AAC. When people often think about AAC, they think of the high-tech solutions, but there is lots of low-tech options that can be very effective. Before we get started, do you know what we do at B-Squared? Have you even heard of B-Squared? B-Squared was started around 25 years ago by my mum. She always struggled to show progress for pupils with special needs, so she created something that would help keep her going until someone else made something she could buy. That never happened, so she started selling what she created. And 20 years ago, my dad realised it should be a piece of software and created Connecting Steps, our assessment software. We are currently on version 4 and around 4,000 schools have purchased Connecting Steps for showing progress for their pupils with SEN. Over the last 25 years, we've been keeping up with all the government changes and creating new frameworks based on government guidance. So if you haven't found your replacement to P-Levels, have a look at our website and see what we have done. We have also started to create frameworks for other areas. Early this year, we launched our communication interaction framework to help schools work closer with their speech and language therapists. The framework supports pupils who communicate vocally as well as using AAC. You can find out more by visiting the B-Squared website. I'll put a link in the show notes to take you to the correct page. And if you're interested in what B-Squared do and our frameworks, I'll put a link in the show notes to book a free online meeting where I can show you what we do and how we can support your school. Now on with the podcast. Hi. There are lots of children and adults who use AAC and it can remove a number of barriers. People often focus on the high-tech systems like the one that Lost Guy has, for example, but low-tech is highly effective as well as a means of inclusion for a wide range of SLCM. Before we move on to low-tech or high-tech, let's just start right at the beginning with what is AAC and what does it do? Okay, so like you said, uh, AAC stands for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. So what that means in practice is that uh, it's any kind of system that will supplement people's existing communication or completely replace the need for their existing communication. So to an extent, we're all doing that all the time when we gesture and supplement our own communication in various ways. So it's just a slightly more formalised way of doing that really so it's things like pointing yeah pointing gestures um the non non-verbal information that you use when you're communicating that would all be low tech ac and then the higher tech ac is what people tend to be attracted to in terms of systems because everybody loves the tech so um various ways to access systems uh systems that speak for you that kind of thing so there's a full variety of complexities of aac systems but they all share in common that they're supplementing what people are doing uh, with their voice just go back to that non-verbal. See, I learned about a year ago, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I misunderstood the term non-verbal. Okay. Non-verbal to me went uh, non-vocal. They weren't saying the words. Oh, okay. I think it comes across a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's a business definition. If you Google verbal communication, it says on LinkedIn and various other places, verbal and written communication. Right. 
So there's often that definition that verbal is the oral, the spoken, mm-hmm. actually is communicating with words. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's lots we're doing with our voice that isn't necessarily words. So tone of voice, that kind of thing. And people are using all that information to communicate all the time. A sign language and pecs is also verbal communication. Um Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think <laughs> I'm not sure. I think of it that way, actually. This is the thing: as as we developed our communication interaction, we worked with various people. Mm. It is became that definition of verbal meaning words. So actually, yeah. when you think about it in a very basic way, stuff like the pecs and sign language, you're still kind of communicating with words. It's just not orally. Or written that's there. true yeah so yeah there's there's communicating with a language isn't there yes so that's what you're talking about with words and then there's communicating with your voice yes. which is two slightly different things related but different things yeah absolutely so we often don't pay nearly enough attention to all the ways that we can communicate we're very focused on using our voice and using words and it's that when someone says someone's non-verbal some person might just mean they don't almost maybe a selective mute they're not speaking or various other things they're non yes but they actually they're right and they do other stuff. So it's kind of different to those who are very non-verbal, other non-verbal skills, which mm. use like the um, inflections, the gesturing, the body language. It's a lot more complicated than I realise. Absolutely, yeah. When if children are non-verbal communicators, that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yes. So some people mean that they're pre-verbal. They're at the stage of their development that's just not reached language yet. Yep. Um, as opposed to children who actually have entirely intact cognition and they're just not communicating verbally, they're nonverbal too. So it's really important to dig around, as you're talking about, in those definitions. Yes. Because uh, we can quite easily write off children's capacity to communicate if we're making assumptions about what that means. And that's why AAC is so brilliant, really, because it lets children show what they can do. Yes. Um, and let's just let's improve that they are more than those labels, really. Yeah. So I, when I mean a child who isn't speaking, I try to use some non vocal now. Mm, yes. So uh, when someone says it's a verbal, I go, right, do you mean this or do you mean this? Just to be a bit more clearer in my understanding of what they mean. Yeah, I think that's really sensible. I think um, because a lot of the ways that we evidence our education and our cognition are through language in our culture. So it's very easy to make assumptions about people's where people are coming from when they communicate in different ways yeah and that's why I think AAC has been restricted a little bit in some ways to like specialist environments but actually if we used it more in mainstream environments I think we could see a lot more of what these children's potential looks like yes definitely Mm. so let's start with a low tech Mm. low tech AACs Okay, so there's a few ways of doing that. I think the most common way that people are going to be familiar with is the various signing systems. Okay. So the most common ones, obviously, we've got British Sign Language, which is a language for children who are actually hearing impaired. And then you've got the languages that have derived from British Sign Language. So those are the the main two in this country are Sign Along and Makaton, both derived from British Sign Language. And what signing is so brilliant for is that people think of it as a way of supporting children's expression, which is brilliant for that. But actually, it's great for supporting comprehension as well, which often gets a bit overlooked. And I think uh, signing is one of those things that people are enthusiastic about, but many settings use signs, but they're not really embedded in the communication environment. They're not 
embedded in their teaching. So we've got a habit of, you know, teaching children signing songs and things like that, which is really nice. But actually, we don't necessarily carry that over into our true communication with those children. So we're not using signing to its full potential a lot of the time. So that's probably the method that most people are most familiar with. And then quite a common method as a therapist who works with complex needs quite a lot. It's very common for me to introduce AAC. I think it's being often not used in other areas of speech therapy very much. So one of the main ways that we would introduce AAC as an idea is to use communication boards. And those are essentially systems which are usually picture based. They might be photos or symbols. Communication board would be just that, just a a one page board usually. And they're often specific to perhaps an area of the classroom or an area of a child's life particular topic and essentially they're there to supplement and be modeled with by pointing to the pictures whilst the children talk whilst the adults talk as a like I say a supplement to what the children are saying so communication boards are a great place to start with uh, low-tech AAC and then the development on from that that's probably most common are communication books which is essentially the same principle as boards they have pictures and symbols that you point to but they would have multiple pages and a much more organized system So um, they would have essentially an index and the children, one of the skills that we teach the children is to navigate their way through the book. And both boards and books are often set up on the principle of core vocab. So core vocab is that vocab which is able to be carried across, most functionally across multiple settings. So core vocab is made up of the words that we know are most useful to most people. So words like more, gone, finished that kind of thing. So you can use those in lots of different environments. And then your fringe vocab is what comes in for more specific situations. So that would be vocab like your family members' names, uh, school staff names and topic vocab, that kind of thing. So uh, those are sort of three, probably three most common uh, low-tech AAC methods, signing boards and books. So I've seen in um, a few schools I go to, especially in the sort of reception area, Mm. that they often, they don't have a board, but they may have stickers on the wall. So when children go to reception, there'll be a sort of Velcroed on symbol to sort of say, mm-hmm. this is the reason I'm here. Yeah, fantastic. So it gives them that confidence. Um, and you see it around the school. So maybe outside the head teacher's office of why I come to see the head teacher. Yeah, I love that. So there are so many ways you can embed basic AAC principles in your environment. Yeah. That's a really good example. And actually, you don't need to be a child with SLCN to benefit from that. No. And I think one of the things I'd really like people to understand is that anything that's good for a child with SLCN is good for all your children. Yes. So there's any number of reasons why a support to help you say what you might want to say to the head teacher might be great for people. Anyone who gets uh, that shyness, which basically leads them just losing all their words. There we go. It just helps them. Or somebody who has got upset and is, again, is in that same situation where they can't really... It just helps people communicate in an easier way. Yes. And it gives uh, gives children a way in. Sometimes they just don't know where to start. It gives yeah. people a way to initiate. If you've got English as an additional language, it can be a great way to introduce interactions as well. There's no downside to AAC, to be honest with you. No. It's no. only upside as far as I'm concerned. Cool. So we've done the low tech and that that yeah. has got that has got lots of benefits for lots of children. And it's as you said, it, it's often the one that people forget about. Mm. It's, it's not shiny, it's not clever, it's not amazing, but it is <laughs> quite easy. And I, I've, seen, I've seen people with, I'm going to say, like um, aprons mm-hmm. with the communication stickers on. 
Absolutely. I have. Yeah, they're really great. So you can set those up for children who use books and for PEX. So I didn't mention PEX, actually, but you're right. That's a low tech AAC method, too. And I feel like uh, as a speech therapist, I have to say at this point that people often mix up PEX with lots of other things, including visual timetables. So PEX kind of is its own thing. Yep. So this is my PEX disclaimer. PEX could be a great system, but it's really important that you understand whether you genuinely are using PEX or something else because it has its own teaching methods and its own sort of outcomes that you're aiming for. So people often call a lot of things PEX that aren't really PEX. Yes. Basically, if you've got a picture, they're saying it's because PEX stands for Pictorial Exchange Communication System. That's right. Yeah. Picture Exchange Communication System. So it has its own essentially PEX is brilliant for teaching children to initiate communication when they didn't realize they needed to do that so that's why it's great for a lot of children with autism who don't necessarily understand that they need to communicate in the first place okay and it has benefits for other children too but I think the word PEX uh, is just such an easy word they came up with a great acronym there but everybody's sort of slightly over identified it with all sorts of forms of low-tech AAC so if you really want to make a speech therapist have steam come out of their ears call other things pecs because it drives us a little bit mad <laughs> so if i say i had a pecs visuals timetable yeah yeah that would yeah <laughs> i feel compelled to go into long explanations about why it isn't a pecs visual timetable <laughs> what is a very simple difference between pecs and non-pecs okay so so for example a communication board has symbols on it a pec system and a non-pec system might have exactly the same pictures or symbol systems but a communication board would essentially be for a child to point to what they want and for you to model so you could build a sentence by pointing to the pictures on the board pecs is designed to teach the children to seek out an adult or a peer to initiate that communication with and that's inherent in the teaching of pecs so for a lot of children who are non-verbal or whatever we're calling it they actually understand the purpose of communication already so you can put a board in place and they will use that quite instinctively because they were already trying to communicate for pecs what's great about pecs is part of the way we teach it is essentially you take the child learns to take a symbol off their book put it on a strip and then give that strip to another person So in doing that you're teaching them the purpose of the communication. You know, there is a physical handover, much as we are verbally exchanging information now, there is a physical handover of information to the other person. So you're making that more concrete. And the way you teach it um, teaches the children why they would need to do that. So that's the main difference in usage between the two systems, really. It's about Ah. whether the children need to learn why they're communicating as well as how to communicate. So it's it's the big is that exchanging. That's probably the big thing. The exchange, yeah. The the word exchange in there is really, really important. I've seen things where people almost what did you do at the weekend? And they kind of use the symbols to say we went to the park, we went to this, and they're telling mm-hmm. it, but that's not them exchanging. No, so the exchange is a physical exchange in PECs. Yes. So you you can use symbols to model and to ex- exchange information in that sense but there's a, an actual physical exchange with pecs and that's what makes it different and it's inherently for children who find that skill different and we and you, a difficult sorry and you teach there's a very structured way of teaching it and of teaching children to seek out different communication partners to seek them out over longer distances for example there's a very very structured teaching method that goes with that Whereas your communication boards tend to be slightly more spontaneous in their use um, and how we implement them. Okay, cool. So I'm going to ask you a slightly different one. Yeah, we'll play the game. The game is going to be called Pex or Not. (laughs) I love it. Go for it. So I was at a school I've been to lots in Scotland, a really good school, and they kind of have a cafe which they're kind of older children kind of run. So when you're in a meeting, often one of the children will come in. 
I'm going to say with the communication board to ask you what drink you want. Okay, yeah. And kind of, he has a blank board. Mm-hmm. And then there's another board which goes around where you can take off a tea or a coffee symbol. Right, so yeah. In theory, I'm giving him the tea. So in theory, there is an exchange going on. Mm-hmm. But is it instigated in the right way to be classified as pets? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a bit borderline. Like you said, that is an exchange. Not really, is it? Because it's not instigating it's it. Pe- it's pecs like Yeah, it's not <laughs> It's not instigating it. I don't think the game show pecs or not is even to get to Stephen Mulhern level. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, if you ask a speech therapist a question, because uh, we're quite inclusive people, we're never going to say yes or no to anything. We tend to find grey areas in just about oh. anything. So um, I fear, yeah, I fear pecs or not might not get off the ground but yeah there's an exchange there um but if you're if you're doing i'm going to do air quotes now if you're doing proper pecs uh, you would put that on a strip you would teach a child how to make a sentence with that strip so that has the spirit of pecs about it but it's probably not technically pecs <laughs> cool cool i'd say the, thing, the things that people most often mix pecs up with are visual timetables so yes. and that is an important distinction because essentially pecs is for a child to communicate their needs and a visual timetable is for you to explain things to the child they have two different purposes and where we get into trouble is when we mix up the two purposes and people think they're using pecs when they're actually using a timetable okay so basically if you're using symbols it might not be pecs it might not be pecs yes big learning point definitely so you'll often get speech therapists asking lots of follow-up questions if you use the word pecs because we're keen to know if that's what you actually mean excellent cool i love that i love these every day i learn something on these podcasts <laughs> i think i've got a, a certain level and i'm just going oh, i don't know anything <laughs> <laughs> cool so let's move on to high tech okay yeah what would you like so to know about high tech <laughs> the ones i the ones i know of is eye gaze is one i've seen a lot yeah and that is huge for me. I, when I see that, I think that is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So uh, high tech AAC, there are various definitions of the different levels of tech. So sometimes you'll hear low tech called no tech. Sometimes you hear things called medium tech and high tech. Usually what people are talking about when they're talking about high tech is what we as speech therapists would call voice output communication aids or vocus. That's probably okay. what people are talking about. So those are things that speak for you when you build a message. And high tech is one of those things. I mean, the tech has come on so much, even in the time I've been a speech therapist. It's actually basically miraculous to me, the difference in skill level. But what I would say is that people can get a little bit overly focused on the technological aspects of it because all the practicalities remain the same as implementing low tech AAC. So there are various aspects about high tech that you need to think about. And this is why you really, it's the kind of thing you do want to implement with a speech therapist, probably an OT as well, especially if you've got a child with physical needs, because there are various aspects about the combinations of technology in a high tech device that need to be thought about. So there's the actual language software, and there are lots of different language software packages out there, and they are designed for different purposes and have different pros and cons in terms of how they're organized, because there's always a bit of a trade-off. However you choose to put language onto a computer, you're always going to be cutting off some of its complexities somewhere. Yes. And then what people often get focused on with tech is the access method. So what you're talking about there with eye gaze, eye gaze is the access method for the technology. And eye gaze was a huge step forward for people with physical disabilities. There's no doubt about it. But people often get quite excited about that eye gaze uh, or any new access method. But actually, sometimes it can blur the decisions we need to make about good language software and what that software can do. Okay. So people, yeah, sometimes get a bit overexcited about 
new bits of tech and they still need a very careful assessment about how we're going to use them and implement them. There's a lot of dusty eye gaze systems out there and that's a shame. <laughs> I suppose eye gaze isn't just AAC. No, not at all. That's the thing. I was thinking actually it's not just AAC. So stuff like eye gaze is your control on your computer. Absolutely. And one of the things it might be doing is controlling that communications or the language software. Yes, completely. So what high tech is amazing for is you can have environmental access. So you can set up a high tech device, do all sorts of things, open curtains, turn on your stereo, you know, speak to your Alexa. So yeah, high tech can do yeah a lot more than simply be a communication method. And, you know, you can send emails with it and just amazing, absolutely amazing things. So the technology is amazing, but I think people get get a bit firstly get over enthused about what it can do without understanding that it's quite difficult to implement and also they can get a bit overwhelmed by it sometimes when it's actually in your home and you've got all this tech in front of you it can be quite <laughs> quite overwhelming so this is why i think people skip a little bit too quickly over the low tech option sometimes yeah because what low tech is great for is building and understanding of how that system is going to be used so it's not necessary for children to use a low tech system before they move to high tech but a lot of the funding bodies in the UK will ask you to do that. Okay. And that's partly to evidence a commitment to your low tech system. And it gives you an opportunity to work some stuff out about how you're going to implement it before that move to a high tech system. Okay. And also, I think there are lots of children out there who are going to benefit from a low tech system who may never need a high tech system. Nope. Um, so I think sometimes low tech seems a bit of a stepping stone to high tech, but it needn't be. Particularly in mainstream environments, I don't think we use the low tech side enough. Yeah, because I suppose when I sort of, you think about a lot of the high tech stuff, you are literally at the point of people who cannot vocally communicate. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so for those, that's great. But there are probably children who could vocally communicate, but have have to go a long way to develop those skills. Absolutely. Yeah. And what you don't want to do is give them something which will then almost stop them developing. They don't need to. There's all those probably things to think about. There's a lot of things to think through. And that's why the availability of tech is absolutely amazing. And the fact that it's coming down in price is amazing. But sometimes people rush to that and they haven't thought through what a therapist brings to that process really is thinking through all those things about what is the end purpose of this device and how is it going to be used how is it going to be used alongside children's talking as well so for a lot of children they're going to be using it as just one method of communicating alongside some spoken communication so what low tech aac is absolutely brilliant for is your children who for example there's a reason they're not talking you mentioned selective mutism earlier that's a really good example so some of those children may never need a high-tech system but they need something to build their confidence in communicating whilst we work through the mutism aspects and it's also brilliant for children who perhaps they've got good comprehension but either their expressive language is quite poor or their speech intelligibility is quite poor that's what i was thinking is when Mm. when you've got a young child who's obviously knows exactly what they want to say to you but they're struggling to say it yes often they're holding up a picture and they're going and you're going (laughs) <laughs> something about a picture a i've got that yeah. from the uh, non-verbal communication that there's a you're holding a picture yes and there's something on it you're literally you're trying to piece it together and for that child it could be quite frustrating absolutely and so it kind of if you can remove some of that frustration they feel and they feel understood yes. it's going to make them feel better absolutely so you're signing your communication boards are brilliant in those circumstances because they let you bridge that gap 
between yes. a child who is an active communicator, but maybe not that successful right now. And when they're pointing to something or they've got a symbol, you're then saying the words. So you're modeling it for them. So it's Absolutely. all about developmenting that communication. Completely. Yeah. So low tech OC is absolutely brilliant for modeling and extending language. So much like in spoken conversation, you might be using the principle of modeling and extending what a child's saying to you. Exactly the same principles apply with low tech AAC. So if a child were to point to a symbol, you can point to that symbol back and extend the conversation by adding, pointing to another symbol. Same thing with signing. You can sign back one sign and add another sign. And, you know, a lot of these children are always going to be talkers, but they just need something else on top to be more successful communicators. So thinking back to my uh, very children when they were much younger is in reality, a lot of that as you're developing language in that very early years, in reality, you are doing a lot of modelling, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a lot of children are learning through low-tech AAC is how they learn. It's how you, as you're discussing a picture they've drawn, in theory, it says a picture and you're talking about it and they're picking up those words. And so low-tech AAC is, it's not something you do later on for those who can't actually it's done from the very beginning but maybe people don't realize that absolutely yeah I think it's that's a really good way of thinking about it actually it's a slightly you know we slightly formalize the process by which we already supplement our communication and we do it very naturally when children are younger and then we tend to drop some of those strategies as they get older and low-tech AAC is just various ways of encapsulating that process that we do quite naturally with gesture and facial expressions and pointing and context all that stuff it's just a way of trying to capture that process in a little bit more detail maybe for some of our older children who need that bit of extra help really I suppose that's when like the uh, learning through play is if you've got objects in your hand and you talk about the object it's not a pictorial exchange Mm -hmm. but it is an object you talk about that and you're modeling that so it's much easier than when you're actually just asking to write about a train if they're holding a train mm-hmm. sort of thing and you're talking about that it's easier for them to understand whereas when you're just right it's yeah interesting yeah i think you make a good point there so as as we move on through the education system our language becomes more and more abstract and not related to the things in front of us yes. so all those strategies you instinctively use with objects in your environment, that kind of thing, they start to drop away because the things we're talking about aren't present yep. when we're talking. So low-tech AC is just a way of capturing that, really, and trying to bring a sort of multi-sensory aspect back in to the language we're using. I suppose it's saying that maybe into year one more and maybe even to year two is actually continuing that for those children, having that sense of play and having the less abstract, the less abstract way of sort of enabling that communication and it's often when they they move out of the early years into year one it becomes that bit more formal then it's less play yes but for some children where the development isn't at the same stage could really benefit from that early years approach yes i mean you know another way to think about aac is really you're just it's just providing more visual support you know and a lot of the children with SLCN just they need a continuation of the things they needed when they were younger to bridge the gap into formal education yeah. so I think sometimes it's helpful to think about it just as you know people talk about AAC and I think that can be a barrier because it feels like you're doing this big official thing yeah but it's only really a way of doing what we're already instinctively doing and just doing it in a slightly more formalized way for our SLCN learners I'm just gonna pose other questions at you now I'm gonna throw okay. some at you. Um, would whiteboards be part of AAC? So often when, before whiteboards, you do a lesson. If you're not very good at drawing things, you wouldn't draw them on the blackboard mm-hmm. or the whiteboard. But now with 
whiteboards and the projectors or the interactive TV. So you can actually start putting pictures up. So rather than just talking about something at the front of the classroom, by having those pictures up and referring to those pictures as you're talking or having those games where children come up and touch their favorite thing and talk about it. In reality, that is, although it is using tech, it is the low-tech AAC. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're doing is providing lots of different means of children finding their own communication supports there aren't you yeah we don't necessarily think of them as communication supports we think of them as teaching supports but absolutely and what children will tend to do is find their own unique blend of what they need in terms of AAC yeah so you know they might you might find so I've definitely got children who have been uh, not been talkers say in a reception class and they have spontaneously found their way to using the whiteboard as a communication device <laughs> Yes, because you know a lot of children. If you if you understand what communication is for, you're often actively seeking out ways to do that. So yes. yeah, yeah. And, uh, again, you make a really good point. It's not a, always about implementing something on top. It's just about using what you've got, maybe yeah. a bit more flexibly as well. So just make in some ways, it's not a visual timetable. Making things as well as the oral, the more visual. Yes, definitely. Yeah, you're never going to hear a speech therapist say, "Don't make things more visual." Yeah. Absolutely. So if you make it more visual, yet you're supporting comprehension. So yes, you're getting onto more visual timetables and visual support aspect, but you're giving children a visual means of communicating too. There's again, no downside. Absolutely. And what I love about either signing or pictures as a communication method is that children, if we use them well in our environments, children will use them with each other. And that can be a real issue for children with SLCN. That's the communication methods we give them, we teach the staff how to use them and they tend to get quite context bound. So we teach them how to use them in a lesson, but actually it can be a bit of a stumbling block that they don't have the means to communicate with their peers. Yeah. And they don't develop some of the social language and some of the play skills like you're talking about because they don't have the language to mediate that. Whereas if we are just embedding low tech into our classroom environments, then children tend to pick it up. Other children don't see the difference. They're just seeing there's another opportunity another way of communicating so it's a really great way of modeling language for peer relationships as well and i think that's a big gap for a lot of our children with SLCN. there's a book my daughter's loved for years and i didn't understand why she liked it and then doing these podcasts with you and also with uh, wendy lee is realizing actually it is a communication enabler so the book is called you choose mm-hmm you turn to page one and inside that is a double page spread of lots and lots of clothes and it's what would you wear today and i hate it because my daughter picks it knowing it's going to turn <laughs> into an hour-long conversation about what we're going to wear where we're going to go where we're going to live who we're what we're going to have in our house <laughs> but actually when she was young she'd point at the pictures and then you'd almost go oh so you're going to wear a hat or boots and you're basically just modeling that whole experience as they point to something you're saying it's so you're modeling it mm-hmm. and as she got older and she was able to say the word and it's more developed and then you pick random stuff and it just became fun and it did always take ages but she really enjoyed it and it gave especially when I suppose when you're asking someone what did you do the weekend and you've given them nothing to work with mm-hmm. that's really hard but yes. if you had a, a big picture of loads of different activities what you do at the weekend they can look at that and say football I went oh I played football yes it, it, again it's it's not always the actual physicalities of language mm-hmm. yeah it's actually what do I say and searching for that sort of stuff and there's lots of things involved in that process my daughter isn't the most talkative but when she gets this book out it is especially as where do you want to go on holiday 
or where do you want to live? Those pages go on for ages because mm-hmm. I'm going, go, let's go to the moon. And off we go on our conversations. And sometimes the conversation or something does go on about something. I'll talk about, oh, I went to, obviously not the moon. <laughs> no. <laughs> I went to Dubai and I've been to a desert. It was, and it, but it's a whole conversation. And the whole time you are modeling language and mm-hmm. how to have it, it's really good in lots of different ways. Um, and again, as you move to more abstract, where the books are just words, children are expected to have the skills by now to be able to handle that, and they might not always have it. Mm-hmm. And actually just dropping down a bit into this pictorial-based system actually going to be a huge benefit. It's not permanent. For no. Some children, it might just be a short-term thing that you're actually catching up or getting to that level where they're ready for the word-based Yeah. A lot of our children, they don't, either they don't have ideas about what they'd like to talk about because maybe they haven't had those experiences or they don't have the vocabulary to do that. So when you are giving them options uh, on low-tech AAC, you are giving them a basis for starting a conversation, absolutely just as as you're saying. And it's such a good confidence builder. What we know is that children who can communicate are enthused to do more communicating. Yeah. So, you know, it's giving them a bridge, exactly what you're saying. It's giving them a bridge from being a child who doesn't have that language there or can't physically express it into being a more successful communicator. And it's, it's such an easy thing to implement, you know, um, often a bit of setup time. And like all communication systems, the issue is always getting adults consistent using these things. But actually, relative to other communication systems, low tech AC is relatively easy. It's certainly low cost to implement. Uh, and relatively easy to do so. I suppose another way, again, thinking about it, is when you ask a child to write a story, especially when they're younger, they'll sit there for ages and don't know what to write. Mm-hmm. That's often why a lot of schools will have a, a story starter. Yes. Here's a couple of lines of a story. So it's already telling you what to t- And basically, when you ask children what to do this weekend, you basically want a starter. Yes. You're just giving them that context. That's yeah. all. Uh, you know, AAC is never rarely really the only answer most children will use their board and a bit of signing and a bit of talking and you know they'll find a mix that suits them but it's just another piece of the puzzle really to help them be successful okay so just going back to high tech and Mm -hmm. as i talked i realized that eye gaze isn't actually aac like it can it can be (laughs) it's it's a much bigger system yeah so i just thought of eye gaze but it's not just a there's a lot more going on Mm. and i remember years ago when my mum was teaching and we had the old bbc's and we had the concept keyboards where you can make the overlays yeah and that was you're hitting different sections to perform various functions so basically if the device is just purely there to communicate, that mm-hmm. is probably just an AEC. Yeah. But the fact that your phone can speak for you, the fact that anything, actually there's lots of AAC tools out there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So in some ways, maybe we do ourselves a disservice when we call it AAC and call it something different because it's just one of the many, many tools we've got getting messages across to people i've done lots of sort of research talking to people and realizing that often people who use sign language if they need to ask people for help what they'll often do is get their phone out and maybe type in a text message Mm -hmm. and just and have a conversation with someone right in front of them through their phone yes that is a really good example yeah aac and don't we all do it if we're in an environment that doesn't speak our language we seek out other ways of communicating yeah and i think tech is tech has been huge Mm. because would you class a probably not 
is when you've got those apps where you type in, I would like this in one language and it speaks into another. Yes. Is in reality, we're all using it, but it's not under that umbrella of AAC. It's just a normal thing. And it's just people have got to realize you don't necessarily have to look at within AAC, maybe just what you're doing in the classroom or maybe what you're doing lower down in the school, adapting something like that. Yes. Yeah, because I think the minute you call it AAC, it's sort of people put up a barrier in their mind. Oh, that's not for our environment. Maybe that's yes. for a special school and we're a mainstream school. But actually, it's a false dichotomy, really. And I think you do generally think of AAC, my head would always go to Stephen Hawkins. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. Or at the Bet Show years ago, I watched someone typing in a Word document by blowing. Yes. I think of those things where people can't actually communicate vocally. Mm -hmm. They've got their message in their head. They've got the ideas. They want to communicate, almost locked in type thing. Mm -hmm. And this is their way of communicating. That's how I used to see AAC. As in, if they can't use AAC, but actually there is that whole, for children developing the language, it's helping them. It's the stabilizers on the bike. It's not permanent it's to help them get started and if you go for that high tech they'll probably just not then develop because they don't need to because they've got that doing it for them well a lot of children actually will reject high tech because they'd you know most children would actually rather be talking even children who we would rather they use their high tech system sometimes they reject them because they want to be communicators with their their talking you know and that's their choice so it's about finding the mix of things that work for that child as an individual really so yeah AAC yes AAC is for everyone you've kind of made that point really um it's just about being a successful communicator and as a speech therapist you know obviously we're putting in the work to develop a child's underlying skills for speech and language but actually we need them to be functional communicators in the meantime whilst we fix things we may or may not be able to fix everything but there are children where we're actually maybe fixing their speech sounds but you know they need to be functional communicators in the meantime whilst we do that work yeah and that's what AAC is about for those children and you think about it it is everywhere my head goes off on these things um (laughs) so when you're on a plane over the tannoy you'll be hearing someone telling you where the fire exits are Mm -hmm. but at the same time there's someone showing you yeah and at the same time there's always a card in your seat with pictures on. Yes. So the airline industry is going through those who who can can't hear, mm-hmm. can watch, look, those who can't see is, is they're doing it for almost all the different people. And even though you can't understand that language, there is an alternative communication method. So they are doing that AAC. Absolutely. So if they can do it, and if you think everything you go to generally is in the environment. Mm-hmm. But I just think when you're actually maybe in that classroom, you're just maybe not realising actually low-tech AAC is everywhere. Absolutely. And so much of the ways that we support children with their communication is about capturing what we instinctively do, making us aware that we're doing it and doing it more often. Yes. You know, the ways we talk to children, we're often doing a lot of good things for them. And for our children with SLCN, we we just need to stop, think about what it is that's working for them and do more of it. That's what low tech yes. is about, really. And I suppose when you think about going to the supermarket, that is also full of low tech AAC, apart from obviously Tesco's value stuff, which is just a white can. <laughs> but normally what is in the can is in the picture. So there's yeah. a picture of it. Absolutely. We're all using visual information all the time. 
but it's just making sure we keep that in the classroom for those who need the support make it as visual as possible absolutely use that make our teaching visual and give them means to communicate the visuals too so we've gone over what aac is mm-hmm. i've learned more we've done low tech we've played pex or not <laughs> and we've done high tech yeah so there's lots of schools could do is there i suppose there are lots of places people can go to find out what stuff i can do so we've talked about various things yes but are there websites which will sort of show you this is what a communication board web looks like and this is what you're trying to do or is it quite simple yeah so the one i would always have as my go-to is a website called practical aac um, and that's practical but it's got aac in the middle of it so it's got p-r-double-a-c-t-i-c-a-l practical AC and there's absolutely tons of material on there for teachers the thing about going online sometimes is that a lot of people use the terminology in quite a mixed up way so PECS being a good example so you do have to operate with a little level of caution about it because there's loads of good resources out there but people do mix up visual timetables with communication boards and PECS so practical AC would be a good place to start because it is developed by speech therapists uh, but very much for educators that is a bit American and then I would always actually go to your local NHS speech and language therapy department because probably most areas have got a way that they prefer to do things in terms of communication boards and that kind of thing so I know in our area we have all the boards set up to a certain format so that if children transition between settings they'll be familiar with what is in the new setting and often your NHS department has loads of resources that they've already made so it's it's about asking the question really and I think sometimes speech therapists are guilty of certainly in my job because I work with children with more complex needs we're used to thinking about AAC all the time but maybe if you're not a person who usually works in that area you won't automatically especially if you're seeing a child in the clinic you might not automatically offer those AAC options to a school if you're working on speech or something so it's the proactive relationship between speech therapists and schools do go back to your speech therapist and say yes but what about the child's functioning now I'm glad you're fixing their speech but you know go back to them and say is there anything I can be doing to help them communicate whilst you're doing your therapy and they will often have a lot of stuff for you and just hearing you mention about transitioning between settings Mm -hmm. is it's also makes a lot of sense is working with parents whatever you're doing in school so whatever your communication was all that is trying to get that reinforced at home yes so doing the same thing at home will really help that child be more consistent, more confident everywhere. Yes, yeah. And you see both ways. Sometimes children will be very confident communicators with, say, signing at home. If they don't see that signing in school, they're not going to use it and vice versa. It's really important that every communication environment is a good one for the children because it's just exactly the word you use is confidence. And that is so important. We can build language skills and speech skills. But if a child's not a confident communicator because they're not being successful, then they're not going to use the skills they've got. So yeah, absolutely. That relationship between home and school is really important. So coming to the end of the show, so is there anything else you want to mention? Oh, we've done a bit of a whistle-stop tour there of uh, various things, haven't we? No, I don't think so. I think if this is an area that you're interested in, just spending a little bit of time, cast your net, you know, choose a few good sources of information rather than casting it too wide because like I said there's a lot of mixtures of terminology out there so there is various levels of training available for people too again if they approach their local speech therapy departments so I think the main thing would be to get across to people that AAC isn't a big scary thing and that it has functional uses for everybody and it's just an extension of what you're already doing 
in the classroom. And that's what I'd really like people to take from it and to feel that they can have those conversations with their speech therapists and their families. Realising again, it's already happening in your school. Yes. You're just not consciously thinking about it. Yes. So many of the things we're doing are just raising things to our conscious awareness that we're doing. And this is no different. Cool. So uh, thank you for coming on the show today, Ingharad. No problem. Nice to speak to you. I'll tell you how to put some links together for this episode and that practical AAC will be in there. We'll be putting these in the show notes along with how you can contact Angharad and find the key speech and language therapy. I'll also be putting a link to the B-Squared website, our communication and interaction framework. Um, so you can have a look at that and also a link so you can book a meeting with me to find out more. You can find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. Thank you for listening to the show. Please let us know what you think. Normally I ask you to subscribe, but this week I'm asking you to leave a review on iTunes or let us know what you think on Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag Sencast. You can leave a comment on the Sencast website or drop me an email to dale at the Sencast.com. You can find us all at the usual social channel, media channels. On Twitter, we are at the Sencast. On Facebook, the Sencast. On Instagram, the Sencast. And on good old LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast. If you want to get in touch for anything else, let me know your thoughts, suggest topics, or anything at all you can possibly think of, please send an email to hello at the Sendcast.com. If you've enjoyed the Sendcast, why not look into the virtual Send Conference? I always mention this because it is great, and it is a great way to get CPD around SEND. Ang Harrod was actually one of our speakers at our first conference. Mm -hmm. So the conference is run by us here at B-Squared. It covers a wide range of areas within SEND. And what makes the conference different is it is accessed across the internet, so you don't have to travel anywhere. We run the conference twice a year, but you can watch it anytime you want because it is always available. And it's great because you can use it on your own, watch it at home, or use it as part of a whole school inset day. You can buy tickets for future or past events. The videos are always available. The cost for a school's conference are £60. As I said, this covers the entire school, not per person. So as a listener to Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just to using the code Sendcast10. And currently, we're also working on a conference or an event for parents, which we're going to be calling Parent Talks. So this is going to be aimed at helping parents across a wide range of areas. And the cost for that is only going to be £10 per ticket. And you can find out more information on our parents' conference or parent talks and our conferences for schools by going to www.virtualsendconference.com. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.